So the topic that we're dealing with today is this question, are all sins equal? And this came about, I had a discussion a few weeks ago uh, with a church member out in the, the large foyer, and this came up, and we were talking about this, and the fact that this is something that gets thrown around quite a bit, and oftentimes just taken as, as something, it's, it's axiomatic, something that's a given. But wondering, is it really true what we often say about this? And in the discussion, uh, the person said, hey, this would be a great topic to do as a sermon. And I realized we have these PM sermons uh, once in a while, and it could be a great opportunity to deal with some of these uh, kind of tougher theological questions from time to time. So the first one I want to deal with is this question, are all sins equal? And it may not be something that you can answer really quickly, yes or no. It may not be something that is going to get answered the way you think this is going to go. Uh, so if you're sure you know this, or if you're worried that, oh, what is going to be said here? Again, pay attention to the whole thing, because this may not be going the direction that you think is going to go. But I want to start out again by saying that I think there's an idea for some reason that has become, it's just ingrained itself in the thinking of most American Christians. And I hear it a lot. When the topic of sin comes up, you'll quickly hear someone say something along one of these lines. They might say these phrases, well, sin is sin. And there's a sense, well, obviously that's true. Sin is sin, because what else would it be? But if what you mean by that is all sin is equal, all sin is exactly the same, I think that's the implication. That's what they're trying to say. Other ways they might say it are all sins are equal. They're all absolutely the same. Some will say there's no gradation of sin. There's not one sin that is worse than another. And some will say, well, all sins are the same in God's eyes. And this is said sometimes with such confidence that you would expect that there is a verse of Scripture that you can point to and that these phrases are in the Bible as such and that we can just know that these are absolutely true. What I want to do in this message is kind of question this. Is this actually what the Bible is teaching? And we have to reconcile with other things that actually are said. Uh, One of those that we're going to see is that Jesus actually talks about greater sin. And if you have Jesus actually saying that someone has committed a greater sin, this would seem to really push back at this idea that all sins are exactly the same. So we're going to look at biblical evidence. We're going to try and think about this logically as well, too, that there's some ways that if it was true that all sin, every sin is exactly the same, there's things that wouldn't make sense about that. That it would become absurd to think about this. But we also want to think about this in a way that doesn't lead us to any type of arrogance, that doesn't lead us to any type of judgmentalism. And as I said, if we're thinking that the end result of this is that we seem so much better than everyone else, again, this might not go the way that you think it's going to go as we look at this question. So, diving into this, uh, The question, are all sins equal? We'll deal with this in two parts. And the answer, I think, really is kind of a yes and no. So we'll deal with this first, that yes, in one sense, all sins are equal because all sins are infinitely terrible. So there's one sense that we can think about this. And we're going to see as we look through this too, I think there are good motivations sometimes that people have for these statements, that all sin is the same, there's there's no difference. Uh, we'll see, we'll come back to this at the end. I think sometimes there are some motivations that maybe aren't the greatest for this. 
But it is true, that there is a grain of truth in this, a very big grain of truth, that in one sense, all sins are infinitely terrible. All sins are infinitely serious. And we have to make sure that we're stressing this. No one at all should think that there are some sins that aren't that big a deal. That there are some sins that just, they aren't serious. Every sin is serious. Every sin is a huge big deal. There are no light sins. So even if we talk about, you know, smaller, smaller sins, and we put those in in air quotes, we have to realize that even the smallest sin is an infinitely big deal, not because, even because of what the, the action is, but who it's against. To realize that all sins are against an infinitely holy God. That's ultimately who we're singing against. We're not sinning against uh, just a, a list of rules somewhere on a, on a sheet of paper or carved into a rock. We're not ultimately sinning against one another, although there's ways that that happens, but all sin is ultimately against God. And there's so many things in life that who it is directed at makes it uh, even worse than if it was somebody else. Okay? If after the um, service you don't like this message and you come up and you hit me, okay, uh, depending on what this is, uh, you're, you're probably not going to uh, go to jail for that. I shouldn't tell you that. I don't want to make anyone like, <laughs> sounds like we can get off scot-free for hitting pastor. You know, uh, you know, somebody, we might have, you know, words we might have to deal with this. Uh, but what I'm saying is it's less of a big deal for you to strike me than it would be for you to try to strike the President of the United States because of his office and who he is and the, the grandeur of who you would be going after, whether you like the President, whether you don't. There's something about the office of that person that, that makes it a worse thing to do. And in, so if we think about that and we think of who the Lord is, that he is the, the, the God, the one of ultimate authority, the one that we owe our obedience and our love and respect to, then the fact that is true that even the quote-unquote smallest sin is of infinitely serious, infinitely uh, terrible mag- value because of who it is against. If you were to uh, spit at the king... Ultimately, it would not be about, well, how much saliva did you use? It would be the fact that you spit at the king. And sin ultimately is rebellion against God. It's rebellion from our heart against him and against his authority. So there's one sense, it is infinite because of that. And that's why when we talk about hell, condemnation being eternal, that's the only fitting punishment for a sin that is of infinite uh, horribleness, infinite degree of how terrible it is. Because we are finite. How can we ever pay off an infinite debt? We wouldn't be able to. And I think it's one of the reasons that hell is eternal. Uh, every sin against an infinitely holy God, infinitely terrible, and therefore all sin merits eternal punishment. So this is one of the, first and foremost, we have to say that. A second reason is uh, historically, there was a time, well, and it still is in the Roman Catholic Church, that they teach a distinction between two types of sin, mortal sin and venial sins. 
And we reject that, the Protestants uh, reject that, because we do not see the Bible teaching a difference between these two types of sin. And that also, I think, is one of the the good reasons why some people have stressed sin being the same and not these two radically different types. In the uh, way of salvation, the thinking that developed in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they viewed it that we come into this world uh, with original sin, uh, but then through the waters of baptism as a baby, that you have that original sin washed away and that you are put into a state of grace that if you received baptism uh, by a duly ordained priest in the Catholic Church, that you are put into a state of grace. This is their teaching, this is not ours. And the idea then is that if you die in that state of grace, you will at least get to heaven eventually. Maybe not right away, probably not right away, unless you're a saint in their way of thinking, because... Uh, you probably have a, a lot of still sins that you have, but hopefully they're venial sins, forgivable sins. That's what the word means. So if you die in a state of grace and you've just committed venial sins, this is going to add to the time that you spend in purgatory. Purgatory is not something that we believe the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that. In the Catholic Church, they teach that uh, most Christians, if you die in a state of grace, you're going to spend time in purgatory and they're being purged of your sins in the, in the fires of purgatory, suffering. So instead of absent from the body present with the Lord, uh, the hope that a lot of uh, Catholics would have would be absent from the body, and now you're in purgatory for a while, maybe a million years, uh, until you're finally ready, and then you get to go to heaven. So usually, unless you're a, a Catholic saint, that's your best-case scenario, uh, purgatory and then heaven. But if you commit a mortal sin... And these would be considered the, the biggies. Uh, so if you uh, commit murder, and there's a whole list of them, that's uh, not the point to go through exactly which ones, but they're called mortal sins because they believe that they kill grace. So now you are no longer in a state of grace. So now if you die having committed a mortal sin, uh, being not in a state of grace, then you go to hell. And your only hope would be that before you die, that through penance you can get your way back into a a state of grace by cooperating with the the work of the church. So this is a distinction that that we do not hold to. Uh, We're going to see instead what the Bible says about uh, sin related to our salvation, related to forgiveness. Uh, But we don't hold to this distinction between mortal sins and venial sins. And we just, we don't believe it works like that. That if you trust Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, you're born again, you are put into a state of grace, but this is actually locked in salvation. That your sins, past, present, and future, are, are all wiped away because Christ has paid for them all on the cross. And that you're guaranteed that you're going to go to heaven. There's not a mortal sin that you can commit that's going to knock you out of God's grace. But we also believe that all sins are serious. And that any sin that you could, could commit is enough to send you to hell. So every sin we admit is enough to send someone to hell. There's not just these the big sins that, okay, that's going to make it worth that you need to go to hell because of this. But even the, the quote-unquote, remember, smallest sin is spitting in the face of a holy, infinitely holy God and therefore is infinitely worthy of, of punishment. And the book of James 
reminds us of the fact that you're either a lawkeeper or you're a lawbreaker. And there's no kind of in-between, there's no grading on the curve. If you were to try to depend on your good works to get you to heaven, even if that were possible, you would have to score a perfect 100%. You would have to keep it perfectly. And it says in the book of James, chapter 2, 10, 11, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit murder, also said, do not... Or he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. It's kind of like a chain. If you have a chain that is, is holding something, it doesn't matter if one link breaks or all the links break. It's, it's a broken chain. So you either keep the law perfectly or, or you don't. Uh, and that's the point of this passage, is saying that no one gets to, to heaven on a, on a curve, just keeping some of the laws, even if you actually did, uh, are not what makes you right before God. You break any of it, you're, you're just guilty. That's the case. But I'm arguing this doesn't mean that every sin is exactly the same. That's not the intent of this, this passage. So on one hand, you can't say there are no light sins, no just, uh, you know, uh, it's not really what they mean by venial, but uh, just forgivable, no big deal. They don't send you to hell sins. Every sin is enough to send you to hell. On the flip side, all sins are forgivable through faith in the blood of Christ. And that if you turn in repentant faith to Christ, coming to him as your sin bearer, as uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, that the blood that he shed in his righteousness is enough to cover every sin. And we don't have time to get into what is the unforgivable sin. But guess what? If you, if you really turn to Christ in faith, you have not and will not commit the unforgivable sin. Okay? At the end of the day, the only um, thing that would keep you from benefiting from the, uh, the blood of Christ is, is to not accept it, to turn away from it. And when we do that, we are then accountable for our own sins as well as turning away from Christ. But if you do turn to Christ, there's nothing that uh, his blood can't forgive if you turn to him. Uh, A few weeks ago in the service, we talked about even suicide. And I certainly don't want to encourage anyone to to think lightly of that, but even suicide is not something that is a a mortal sin that uh, would cut you off from uh, the blood of Christ. It is a horrible sin. You're, you're murdering yourself. But the blood of Christ can cover any sin for those that turn to him. So, on one hand, we want to say that, yes, in one sense, all sins are infinitely terrible. And so there's, there's that big grain of truth. And we say all sins are, are the same. But we also need to realize that there's another sense where there is a difference between them. And how can that be? How can they be the same and they be different? Kind of an illustration that I thought maybe can be helpful in a sense, is you think of if you have a stack of coins, and imagine that these stack of coins are infinitely tall. If you have an infinitely tall, I mean actually infinite, stack of quarters and an infinitely tall stack of pennies, on one hand, you both have an infinite amount of money because that's, that's how infinity works. You have enough that is going to uh, pay for anything you want. Um, and it would be infinite. But there's another sense that an infinite stack of quarters and an infinite stack of pennies 
are, are also still different in magnitude. I mean, one is quarters and one is pennies. So that's just kind of an illustration to think how we can think of one, in, on one hand, they're both infinitely terrible, but the Bible also, we're going to see, does talk about some being, being aggravated, having a, a different level of magnitude to them. <clears throat> one thing that we have to deal with when we get into the second point here is, the second point is that no, in answering the question, are all sins the same? No, in another sense, they're not, because Scripture states that some sins are greater than others. And my first authority I want to point to on this is Jesus Christ. And he actually, in John 19.11, refers to, he uses the words greater sin. And this is when he is on trial. Let me read this to you. I'll start actually with verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So here you see Jesus talking about the greater sin. And what does he mean when somebody, he's been delivered over? There, he's not talking in this context, obviously, about the fact that um, God the Father has given him over uh, because God the Father is not committing sin here. But there were the other authorities uh, above uh, you know, Pilate that had uh, Herod and there were the Jews and there was a chain of people that had delivered them over to him over to Pilate. But the point is, one way or another, Jesus has to mean something when he talks about the greater sin. And so I don't see any way to say there's not sometimes where there's a sin that is greater than another if Jesus from his very lips talks about a greater sin. We're going to see some other verses that talk about this as well. Uh, but other places we could look at, Ecclesiastes 8, 6 uh, would be one example, and it also mentions it in verse 13 and 15. But it says, but you will still see greater abominations. So it talks about abominations, and these are something that are, are, are bad in the eyes of the Lord. And it talks three times in these verses about greater abominations. And so it means there must be lesser and there must be ones that are, that are even greater. Now again, none of this is saying that there are uh, some sins that are no big deal. Uh, it, does, it won't work to say, well, yeah, I committed an abomination, but it wasn't a greater abomination. It was just a, a normal level abomination. And even with Pilate, if you're saying that someone else has committed a greater sin, okay, Pilate is still responsible for the crucifixion of the Son of God. That is a very big deal. I would not want to trade places with him in judgment and to be accountable for that. But we do see here talking about some things being um, of greater magnitude than others. Another one, and sometimes we, when we think of Matthew chapter 7, we, we need to realize that this, is, yes, is about humility and not being hypocrites, but it does imply that there are some things that are more serious than others. In Matthew 7, 4 through 5, this is where it says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? 
You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, the point of this is to deal with our own sin first, and how often it's the case that uh, we want to deal with the, the sin in other people's eye that they have, and to remove that, um, and this little tiny thing, uh, when we have a, a huge log sticking out of our eyeball. And so it should tell us, don't be uh, hypocrites, it should show us humility, uh, but I think there might be something to be said here that you know, a, a log of sin is something that is more profound than a, than a speck of sin. And both are sin, and both are a big deal. But if you have a log, you should definitely deal with the log as well. Well, before we go on, and we could deal with this in a lot more detail, but also some sins are greater in consequence. And that's part of what we have to recognize. Now, I'm going to argue that that's not the only thing that makes some sins greater than others, uh, but that is something. And that some sins, we realize, just have greater consequence. Uh, our lives, they have more consequence in the lives of other people that are, that are hurt through these things. But ultimately, it is not just about the consequence because all of our sins are ultimately against God. And so even if you could have this sin and it didn't seem to have consequence with other people, ultimately it's about this rebellion in our heart that is against the Lord. If we really held to the fact that all sins are absolutely equal, exactly the same, I mean, that would really lead to some absurd things. I think about this. If that was true, that every sin is equal, and that uh, for uh, you to um, drive uh, to, to, to speed, and that, that is sin, and if that was the same as you, uh, you know, murdering someone or having an affair or someone like that, um, you could make, you could rationalize it in your mind and say, well, I, um, I only killed one person instead of, you know, speeding three different times. And so if all sins were the same, well, you know, three is, is worse than one. If we really held that all these things are the same, I mean, would that re- mean that stealing a dollar from your grandmother, you know, is the same thing as, as, as murdering her? I mean, these, are, these would be uh, absurd things to think about. Um, is swearing three times worse than killing only one person? I mean, we'd have to recognize, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And we're not saying any of these things are right, any things are okay, but there's some things that just have a, a magnitude about them that are, that are stronger. Now, <clears throat> I want to take a look at some of the things that kind of aggravate <clears throat> sin and make it worse. Uh, we're not bound by, um, at the church, by the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, but there's a part of it where one of the questions states, are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? And the answer to that is, some sins in themselves, and by reason of several aggravations, are more heinous in the sight of God than others. So I want to look at some of those factors. Now, when I say this, I am not intending to give you some kind of algebraic formula that we can use, and we can plug all the factors in place and say, oh, well, it looks like your sin was a uh, 184. That's pretty bad. 
you know, my sins only in 96. You know, so I'm, I guess I'm a lot better than you because, you know, I've I plugged everything into the, the, the calculus and the equation. I think we can look at a few things that Scripture says and say that, okay, all things being equal, this makes a sin even worse than uh, on that one factor than another sin. And this will make more sense when I get into this. But the thing is, we don't know all the factors. God knows all the factors, and he can calculate all this, and ultimately, well, ultimately, it doesn't matter. I, in the sense that it does matter. What it doesn't matter is we need Jesus. It doesn't matter if you think you got a sin factor of four or 100,000. You need Jesus either way. And I think what we're going to actually see is our sins are worse than we think they are. So one thing that Scripture teaches is that a high-handed sin is greater than a less intentional sin. And so we see this referred to in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. I think also the, uh, the person uh, that is sinning in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2, seems to be a very, very high-handed sin. Um, I'll let you look up those passages sometime on your, your own, but in this passage in Numbers, it talks about a person sinning unintentionally, and there's a certain level of penalty for that. Uh, but if a person sinned with what's called a high-handed sin, this was dealt with much more severely. Now, we're not under the Old Testament law code, so we don't, I'm not going to take time to go through that, but the principle remains. There's a difference between sinning when you, you didn't quite know what was going on, or it was, you're, you're, you weren't really trying as hard, and it's a whole lot worse when a high-handed sin, think what it is, it's like you're raising your hand against God, and I know this is wrong, and I'm doing it anyways. A sin of blatant defiance. And I think we see that even, well, with our kids sometimes. You know, we know it's worse, and if you're a parent, you should deal with it much worse. You know, when they, uh, they, they sin, they make a mistake, it's not a weakness. Uh, but when it's defiance, just raising your, their hand uh, or their heart against you in that way, I mean, that is a much more serious thing. So high-handed sin is... Worse, all things being equal, the more high-handed it is against the Lord, the, the more serious that it is. No sin is light. No sin is not a big deal, but this makes it even worse. Sinning against greater light is more serious than sinning against weaker light. What I mean by that is the more that you know what you ought to be doing, the more you know full well and you do the wrong thing anyways, the more serious that is. In Matthew eleven twenty for 24, this is with Jesus, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, these, these pagan cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. He's talking about Sodom. Remember the sins that are involved in, in, in Sodom? You had uh, them trying to approach uh, 
them for um, homosexual activities, and there's a lot of very terrible things that were happening. And Jesus is saying it'd be more tolerable for them than it would be for those places that they had Christ do miracles, they had uh, more uh, information, more revelation, give it to them. They had more light. They were sinning. They knew full well. They were exposed to this. Now, I don't believe that there's anyone that has no knowledge of God. And Pastor Nick talked about this this morning. I totally agree with him because the book of Romans tells us that. Book of Romans, chapter 1, we all have knowledge of God. We all have some light. And Romans, going to chapter 2, we all have a conscience that God is in installed in us and that we know the basics of, of right and wrong. Not perfectly, but we know enough to know that we should be obeying God and there's certain things that even without the Bible, you just, you just know. But if this is true, that means it's a more serious thing for those of us that we, we sit in church, we, sit, we open our Bibles, we know full well what is right and wrong than somebody else that maybe just kind of barely knows or being raised in a community or in a home where they're, they're not taught these things. So on one hand, this is where maybe this doesn't end the way you think it does. We think, well, we're the good people. Those you know, heathens out there, they're the bad ones. But if all things being equal, it's more serious to sin against great light than those of us that have stacks of Bibles, that have gone to Sunday school, that go to church, and all of this, and we still do these same things. How much more serious is that? Sins that are more directly against God are more serious than sins against other people. All sin is ultimately against God, but some are even more direct. It is a worse thing to blaspheme the Lord than to blaspheme your neighbor. You shouldn't do either, but it's an even worse thing to blaspheme the Lord. Although all sin is ultimately against God, um, against you and you alone I have, I have sinned. A sin that is acted on is greater than a sin that is just in the heart. And so I think we have to admit that that's the case. Uh, both are sin. Neither of them are okay. But sometimes I have, we have to point this out because sometimes we'll look at those passages where Jesus says, you know, if you've lusted after someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. And some people will twist that and say, well, I've already committed the adultery in my heart. Might as well do it in real life. And it's the same anyways. So, you know, what does it matter? No, I think it is a more serious thing. It's definitely going to have more consequences. To hate your brother, Jesus said, is to murder him in your heart. Uh, but it is a worse thing to actually then also murder your brother too. Okay, that, when you think about it, that just that just makes sense. That's not taking away from the heart issue of sin. And even those outside things, they do start in the heart. So it's not one or the other. It's if you're committing on the outside, you've already had it in your heart as well too. So that's where I think I would just wonder if sometimes when people talk about all sins being equal, sometimes they're trying to minimize some sins instead of realizing that, no, all sins are really bad. Well, if uh, it's just as bad to, to hate or to, to lust, well, then why not just go ahead and do it anyways? That's where people take kind of the grain of truth and they misuse it in a way to, to justify their sins and to, to lessen them. The more responsibility and authority being abused, the greater the sin. 
In Luke, it talks about everyone who is given much, of him much will be required. And from him who they have entrusted much, they will demand more. James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I'm saying this as I'm up here teaching you. So if this whole thing was for me to get off of my sin and to make my sin seem lighter, pretty much everything that I'm communicating here makes it more serious for me. And most of this for you as well. So again, the whole point of this is not to say, well, you know, it's those other people in the world, they commit the really bad sins. So many of these things makes us realize that, hey, apart from Christ, our sins are even more serious than it would be for other people. And it should be a terrifying thing to think of. The more influence you have, um, you lead other people astray, do more damage. You think of these false teachers and, and leaders that not only destroy their own spiritual lives and, and damage families, but they're, they're dragging other people with them. What a horrible thing that is. Jesus said it'd be better for them in the day of judgment to have a millstone tied around their neck and be cast into the sea. The Lord is not happy with this when you're dragging other people into sin. I know there's more here than you can really write down, but the greater the influence, the greater the sin. A sin with a greater scope of damage is greater than, I think, uh, sin with a lesser scope of damage. Some of these, I don't know, verses, but I, I think they're, they're biblical and make sense. And again, these are all, each on their own, everything being equal. A sin that does eternal damage is greater than a sin that only has temporary consequences. Greater unbelief, worse than sins of less unbelief. <clears throat> Some sin, sins, I think, are greater depending on the mixture of the motives, and only God knows, and he can weigh that, and how much did you really do it for the right reason, and why were you doing these things? And I think the list goes on. This is just a partial kind of list. Again, my point in this is not to give you a way to calculate how bad sins are and to compare and contrast, but it is to realize that there are different factors and some things that do make some sins uh, even more uh, aggravated before the Lord. So yes, all sins are infinitely terrible, and they're equal in that sense, but Scripture does talk about some being even worse in another sense. And being, if it talks about a stricter judgment, being judged by God implies that there will be degrees of judgment. And that wouldn't even make same if it's all exactly the same. So many of the th- sins that we think are actually small sins, when we look at this, are actually pretty big sins. The small sins of a mature Christian might be more serious to God than many of the, the bigger sins of people out in the world. Because we know better. And we know the love of God. We know this, and when we still sin, we still choose to sin against him. And maybe that's why Paul, at the end of his life, referred to himself as the, the chief of all sinners. He became more and more aware of his sinfulness and his need for a Savior. So before we decide, you know, who's, who's worse, is it the preacher or the prostitute, we need to remember that only God knows all, how all of these factors work together. And although we can't judge sin perfectly on on this earth, um, one of the things we need to realize is that uh, we are called to to deal with sin. Um, An application on this, I saw uh, Kevin DeYoung uh, mentioned in a blog that he wrote on this, 
and mentions that, that uh, church leaders, pastors, elders, are called to use biblical wisdom in matters of church discipline. As DeYoung pointed out, he says, uh, we can't let church leadership become uh, just paralyzed. And he says, so that, quote, the elder who battles the temptation to take a second look at the racy section of the Land's End catalog shouldn't dare exercise church discipline on the 20-year-old fornicating with every co-ed that moves. And I think what he means by that is... Uh, we need to, there can be a wrong way that if we flatten all these things together, we can actually, instead of saying that some sins are really a big deal and every sin is a big deal, we can make it seem that every sin is not a big deal at all. Every sin is a big deal and every sin should be dealt with. And we need to use this knowledge about this um, for ourselves, not on others, but for ourselves. All Christians are a mixed bag. None of this is meant to excuse any sin in ourselves or in others. And we need to repent of any known sin. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts to show us the sin that is hiding there in the deep cracks. So kind of where this came from, I think there are good motives and bad motives. I think some of the original response was against the Roman Catholic idea of venial and mortal sins. I think some of the good motives was in evangelism, the idea that uh, help people realize that all sins are bad, that there's no light sins. Every sin separates someone from a holy God. Um, in addition, other good motives include the, the need for humility, uh, to avoid any kind of wrong-headed judgmentalism, and to remember that no sin in the life of a Christian should be tolerated. And again, I think there's unhealthy reasons why this idea is so rampant, that some people want all sins to be equal so they can actually think that their sins are less serious than they really are. That, hey, all sins are equal, therefore this terrible thing I'm doing is, is really no worse than speeding. So they use that to minimize. So applications just here at the end, never minimize sin one way or another. Don't use the idea that sins are equal or not equal anyways to, to try and justify or minimize anything. Even a small sin is a big deal. Um, and even um, everything against an infinitely holy God needs to be repented of, needs to be fought against. We're called to, to mortify our sins, to fight against them. We need to always avoid judgmental attitudes. I said when we realize this, we realize that even the things that, <clears throat> that we do, uh, maybe it, it is, of a, is actually a greater thing <clears throat> because of our position, because of... Um, the knowledge that we have all these different things that if it weren't for the blood of Christ forgiving us of these, even maybe even more serious than the scandalous things we think of that are out there. And we never want to minimize our need for a savior. Instead, we want to cling to the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's kept the law perfectly all the way through. He is the only chain of righteousness that doesn't have one broken link in it. And he offers that to you as a gift to be credited to your account through faith in Christ and to take your sin upon himself on the cross when he died for our sins that are worse than we think of. He's the only one that could pay for sins that are of infinite... Uh, that are, he's the only one that could pay for sins that are infinitely terrible because he's the one that is of infinite value because he is the Son of God. So we're humble... We're grateful for God's mercy. We fight with God's grace to mortify our sin. And no matter how great our sin is, we need to remember 
that the grace of God in Christ Jesus is far greater. Let's pray. Lord God, as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, Lord, we thank you so much for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you gave yourself for us on the cross to take the punishment for sin, the penalty of sin that, that, that we should be paying. And if we had to pay it, there would be no end because even the quote-unquote smallest sin that we've done against you, Lord God, is infinitely terrible and we could never pay off that debt. So we thank you that Jesus paid it all for us on the cross, that he canceled our sin debt by what he did for us. We have not kept your law, but Jesus kept it perfectly as our substitute. And so, Lord, may, as we think about sin, may none of this lead us to arrogance or self-sufficiency, but may it point us to Christ as we cling to you as our Savior and Lord. And we ask you to save us and to help us to grow to become the people that you've created us to be by your grace. And we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.